Yes, hello. Uh, my name is uh, Gerald Belsky, and myself and, and uh, Michael Billington of EIR are going to do an interview with Dr. Shah Marabi, who has been a longtime uh, member of the Board of Governors of the Da Afghanistan Bank, the Afghanistan Central Bank. Um, Dr. Marabi, could you tell us something about your background and your relationship and the relationship of the current bank uh, Central Bank of Afghanistan, for which you are a board member, um, a, and the relationship to the current Taliban government. Uh, thank you, Jerry. And uh, I want to thank also uh, the Schiller Institute uh, uh, for all their efforts uh, to be able to make a difference in, the, uh, in, in, rele in releasing the Afghan reserve and to be able to uh, get a positive result in eradicating the poverty that is going to, that has ensued and will continue unless uh, uh, concrete measures are taken by, uh, by the United States and European countries who at this stage hold the Afghanistan uh, Foreign Reserve um, uh, overall. Now, uh, I'm, uh, uh, I'm an economist. Uh, and, uh, as an economist, I have spent uh, close to 20 years on uh, uh, the governing board of uh, Central Bank of Afghanistan. I also served on the fiscal side as a senior economic advisor uh, for the ministers of finance, two different ministers of finance, and worked on generating revenue and also dealt with government spending when I was at the Ministry of Finance. But while I was at the Ministry of Finance, I continued my uh, role as a member of the uh, Supreme Council uh, of the Central Bank, which is again a board uh, very similar to that of Federal Reserve Bank of United States. Uh, it consists of seven board members. And I'm also chairman of the audit committee of the Central Bank of uh, Afghanistan. So I have uh, uh, been uh, extremely uh, active in trying to bring reform as we did when I went back when I was first invited uh, to Afghanistan uh, and, and tried to reform the financial institution and more specifically to uh, at least make certain that we have a functioning and effective central bank. Uh, because the central bank prior to uh, 2003 and 2004 uh, had a dual function. It was both a commercial bank and also government bank. And that uh, function of commercial bank was, was uh, 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 given to uh, the newly uh, created and newly uh, created commercial banks uh, and cent Central Bank of Afghanistan as an independent entity uh, was uh, uh, structured uh, and uh, started its function in the early 2003, 2004, and 2005. Thank you, Dr. Marabi. Uh, so the main subject uh, that you have been dealing with and we uh, is that the US Federal Reserve and several European banks have nine and a half billion dollars in reserves which belong to the Afghan Central Bank. This money does not belong to the banks that are holding them, but it's being frozen for political reasons uh, with, uh, and disagreements with the new government in Kabul which makes it essentially a form of illegal economic warfare. 
Could you describe the impact of this on the people of Afghanistan and what actions you have taken to, uh, to attempt to free these funds? Uh, thank you, uh, uh, Mike. Uh, again, here is uh, an important point about free, uh, freezing uh, Afghan foreign exchange reserve. It, it has contributed to economic instability. And that I predicted back, <clears throat> back in September. I predicted number of uh, things would occur uh, and, and they all have come into being because now there's a data to substantiate what I had already predicted in September. At that time, I said that indeed that, uh, you know, my predictions uh, that as I said to you, they have already materialized. I predicted the currency will depreciate. It has depreciated and it has appreciated more than 14% since, uh, uh, since August. I also uh, predicted that the food prices will increase and they will go to double digit. And double digit uh, uh, has occurred. When you look at the prices of food, uh, wheat has gone up by more than 20%, flour has gone up by over 30%, and then cooking oil has gone up by 60%, and gasoline has gone up by 74%. So in, in banking sector, I also said at that time needs liquidity. Uh, and, and to be able to, the liquidity is very important. Reserve, it must be, it must be uh, released, I said, to stabilize prices and to prevent further collapse of, uh, of uh, Afghani, which is a national currency. I, I, and, and when you look at those particular situations, I also argued that uh, at that time that uh, that, uh, as we see here, is that Afghan, uh, Afghani that has depreciated, as I said to you, about 14%. And, and at the top of it was that this currency depreciation has uh, hits mostly consumer, uh, consumer purchasing, uh, purchasing power. And what it does here is that, that it puts people in a position where they cannot buy the basic necessity of life. And also, you know, as I said to you, prices of all these goods have gone up. Uh, also, but I said here that imports would decline and that has occurred. Uh, there was a reduction in demand uh, for these imported goods and the consumption has uh, declined significantly because people have no access to their, to their own money in the bank. In the top of it, they don't have jobs. So many lost jobs, they did not earn any income and then higher prices further suppress the demand for buying any goods and services. So, it, and, and then that's what you see, the whole hunger and starvation that has come into being. But I also what I said that trade uh, clearly is not taking place. As a matter of fact, uh, Pakistan imports from Pakistan were 46% lower uh, than during the same period last year. Exports are very meager exports and the dry fruit and the carpets and so on that has remained somewhat stable, but not been generating adequate uh, foreign exchange reserve. So you have got uh, wages that are declined. So getting back to the, to the notion of the impact of this freezing uh, on Afghanistan is what we already see that has created immense poverty. So what I propose that we should allow Central Bank of Afghanistan uh, limited, monitored, in conditional access to their own reserve. 
This is Afghanistan reserve. It does not belong to anybody else but to Afghan people. They should be allowed to have access to their reserve. And this, this foreign exchange reserve should be used for the purpose of auctioning off. Why? Because auctioning is designed to prevent the depreciation of Afghani against the dollar and other foreign currencies. And also to increase the purchasing power of Afghanis and then prevent it further from decline as it declining day in and day out. So the central bank of Afghanistan will not be able to maintain domestic price stability without auctioning and price stability would not come into being unless these reserves are released. And one of the main function of Central Bank of Afghanistan is to have and maintain price stability and that they cannot do. So what I suggested at uh, that time and still suggest that access to 150 million to now I'm saying 200 because the reserves have dwindled significantly uh, per month out of the 7.1 billion, which is roughly, roughly half of the reserve that DAP auctions off monthly that should be given to DAP to stabilize the economy. So I also said that United States will be able to verify that these funds are used exclusively for the purpose of stabilizing the currency. The auctions are conducted electronically and the transactions between the central bank and commercial banks are automatically recorded. So, but in addition to this, I suggested that the use of fund should be, well, could be audited, this one point I say by international auditing firm that is currently operating in Afghanistan. Now, if there's any misappropriation, then they could cut off the funds. Uh, you know, an important point here is that we want to be able to uh, try to use the funds to prop up uh, the value of the Afghani and, and to allow people to buy the essential goods and services. I've got people who call me constantly that they cannot afford to buy bread, which is the main staple for Afghan. I have got my own brother who is, who is uh, uh, dean at the university. He's been paid. He has income, but he cannot afford to, uh, without, without uh, our help, uh, to remittances that he is not able to purchase the basic necessity of life. And there are many other Afghans who are constantly talking about the fact that they cannot buy uh, ordinary Afghans. So we need to be able to help meet the needs of ordinary Afghans because of, again, higher prices of food, and that can be handled the, you know, without any difficulty by allowing these reserves to uh, go ahead and be released. But the important point also is that we know, based on empirical evidence of what we have done in the past with regard to the release of the funds, every time that we went and engaged in auction, we were able to stabilize the currency and move to price stability. As a matter of fact, the record of Central Bank is very clear uh, that, that Central Bank was able to maintain a single digit uh, increase in the prices for uh, most of the uh, these uh, two decades. Uh, and that to further uh, uh, at least look at uh, empirical evidence, Taliban, just about three weeks ago, they auctioned off 2.5 million out of the 10 million they had proposed to auction 
and that auctioning off during the same day resulted in appreciation of the currency. The value of Afghani went up uh, and then it stayed there, uh, went up for two days and then 2.5 million is not adequate. It has to, the central bank has to intervene continuously to be able to maintain this price stability. If, if they don't do it, you got the crisis that you see right now, higher prices, people are gonna be starved to death uh, and then famine is gonna come as a result of drought as well. And people are gonna go ahead and move out of uh, uh, Afghanistan and they would be uh, banging the European uh, doors. Uh, well, Dr. Murabi, uh, at a forum sponsored by the Center for Global Development about a month ago or so, you proposed a partial lifting of the sanctions and a partial lifting of the freeze on funds to allow the Afghan Central Bank to access about 150 million a month to engage in dollar auctions, as you just described, to stabilize the value of the currency. We think, however, that this would allow this partial lifting, these Western countries that are holding the funds to justify their continued holding of Afghan funds, which as you've said, they have no moral or legal right to do so. Wouldn't you agree that they must release all the funds as a matter of principle and moral obligation? I think the United, uh, with regard to sanction, I have said also United States Treasury needs to clarify and modify sanctions law. I think it's, it is, uh, it, it, to me, it's legality uh, is not uh, clear. In, in my mind, whether legally can they go ahead and withhold another country's reserve. So that needs to be clarified. Uh, and also what I've said here that they have shown some degree of flexibility in the area of humanitarian aid, but it has to be broader than humanitarian uh, exemptions. Uh, broader would include these sanctions that are to be lifted with regard to re release of these particular reserve, because again, this reserve belongs to Afghans, and I think we need to be able to provide uh, an opportunity for our merchants, our traders to engage in trade. And they were not going to engage in trade unless they are released. Uh, and, and as I said to you I, I, again before, there are concerns from the Treasury Department about terrorism financing and, and sanctions, uh, and others have raised the issue regarding the competency of government and its leaders. I think all of those issues can be discussed with, with uh, active engagement and then release of these funds on, on, on a monthly basis uh, with a verification that I have said. Uh, it, there's, there's no mistake that can be made here that, that, that the collapse of the economy would come into being unless this reserves are addressed in, in address on a systematically monthly basis. Uh, we have a lot of models that United States in the past have used. Iran uh, had allowed release of funds to be used for the, for the purpose of trade. Uh, and they could use that as well. So the OFAC, that is Office of Foreign Asset uh, uh, Control, will have to allow some degree of flexibility to be able to make certain that exceptions are made not only as it's made for humanitarian related uh, issues, but also for allowing central bank to get access to their, or, uh, to their reserves. Uh, so uh, it's, I think it, you cannot go ahead and 
punish Afghans. Uh, Afghans, uh, we talk about issues of women and so on. Women and children are going to be uh, uh, the, the first people who are going to be suffering from this. They will not be able to buy goods and services. You know, on the one hand, if we argue, if we argue that we want to go ahead and provide humanitarian uh, uh, aid, you, you could not automatically say, listen, we are going to go ahead and choke okay. up the economy okay. as well. There's, there's, uh, there's two opposite arguments. The arguments do not really make, uh, make uh, sense in a way that on the one hand, you say, I want to help humanitarian. On the other hand, I'm going to choke up the economy so that the the ordinary Afghans will not be able to have access to foods and basic necessities. Well, you've answered really the next question implicitly, but I'm going to ask it anyway, which is the World Bank, as you know, is now planning to restore about 230 million in aid. Uh, but even this small amount, they're saying, has to go through UNICEF and the uh, World Health Organization instead of going through the Afghan banking system. What is your view of this? I don't know where UNICEF is going to use it for what purposes. I said that before or WHO. Uh, you know, uh, I think, and also even the World Food Program, uh, if they are done and uh, for the purpose of purchasing grains and other basic necessities, that is good. But humanitarian aid is not a solution to rekindling the activities of the economy. Uh, humanitarian aid, uh, as I have said all along before, well, it's necessary, but it is not, uh, it's a short gap measure, and it's not a complete measures of trying to get the economy overall move, uh, move to a point where they could go ahead and get uh, an increase in aggregate demand, uh, which is very essential if the economy is going to go ahead and um, function and generate enough revenue for daily economic activity. One of the sanctions, uh, or some of the sanctions, have, as I understand it, uh, uh, denied Afghanistan access to the SWIFT uh, money transaction system. Um, what is the impact of this on, on, on the country? Well, this is what also commercial banks have been complaining about. You know, they wanted commercial banks had a window where they could go ahead and, and engage in corresponding banks. And that has been stopped so that indeed they cannot go ahead and engage with their correspondent bank that they had relationship with, but that has been blocked by Treasury. They, the Treasury Department would not allow, in, in the banks, the correspondent banks, they are hesitant and reluctant to engage in, 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 in any activity would uh, unless they get a clearance from Treasury. And that's what I said before, that unless the Treasury relaxes and shows some degree of flexibility, some degree of flexibility uh, in, in, the, in allow some exemptions uh, of, uh, from sanctions uh, and other exemptions that will have to be provided uh, for the for you know these banks, uh, and, uh, and allow the SWIFT entity to go ahead and, uh, and, and allow the transaction to take place. We're gonna, again, going back to the same situation, liquidity is not gonna be there. We're gonna be enabling, we're gonna be choking off the economy overall. 
Dr. Marabi, there's been a uh, recognition um, by many individuals and organizations that the point you're making that humanitarian aid will not work if there's no banking system. Mm -hmm. However, one individual uh, has floated a proposal, Alex Zerdin, who was the former uh, financial attache for the Treasury Department in 2019 in Kabul. He's put forward a proposal that may be being discussed behind the scenes, but his proposal is to bypass the central bank in order to avoid um, giving money to the current government and to set up a private central bank or to use a commercial bank um, like the Afghanistan International Bank or some other bank through which they can channel these some of these funds which are being illegally held. But it is, um, the proposal is to set up a private bank that would uh, carry out some of the functions you've described, such as uh, uh, the auctioning of money to prop up the currency. But what is your view of this idea of setting up a private central bank to bypass the current central bank? Well, again, it goes back to, uh, we, we have invested about 20 years in, uh, uh, in modernizing or uh, in establishing uh, a central bank uh, that uh, is able to administratively uh, and based on the DAB law, perform all the functions that uh, the central bank is, uh, is to perform. Uh, that is including, obviously, you're looking at uh, supervision of the central bank, issuing of bank notes, and being able to be the lender of last resort and to provide liquidity to the commercial banks. Those functions cannot be taken over by a commercial bank. Commercial bank uh, it, it, uh, it, it's, uh, is there to be able to uh, uh, earn profit uh, they, uh, while uh, central bank is uh, main function is not profitability. So here a lot and also a commercial bank cannot be relegated with the responsibility of, of uh, uh, of uh, central bank. Central bank has got uh, personnel that are well-trained, that they have education and experience, that they could go ahead and perform all their particular duties based on the law that is still not revised, it still isn't practiced. Uh, and that I think uh, to get to allow another entity or to say that to have a parallel institution uh, is, uh, is in, 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 to a great extent, uh, is gonna result in, in a situation where it will create a lot of confusion. And it will also, it will, in one way or another, it will uh, result in, in the credibility uh, in, uh, uh, of the central bank to be eroded in the mind of a public at large and when public cannot trust, and, and when they don't trust, you have to keep in mind the issue of currency is the domain of the central bank. It is not, it is not uh, that is Afghani. It is not a commercial bank who can go ahead and issue the currency. And currency as a medium of exchange is accepted because people trust uh, the, uh, that particular currency for, uh, to use it as a medium of exchange or store of value and use it as a unit of account. That cannot come from commercial bank. 
commercial bank does not have the authority, legally or otherwise, to be able to uh, engage in issuing currency and or in inject liquidity of Afghani into the system. Remember here is it's not only USD, it is also Afghanistan currency that is also an important uh, element in bringing about liquidity into the economy. So uh, it is establishing a parallel institution if it's designed for dismantling the economy and dismantling the central bank, as some of these people have advocated, uh, is, uh, is not a move that will rescue the poor people uh, in ordinary Afghans from the misery that they are uh, that out of no uh, fault of their own experiencing now. The UN uh, has addressed the, the uh, crisis in the banking system. The U.S. Special Representative for Afghanistan, Deborah Lyons, uh, gave a report to the U.N. Security Council on November 17th, which said, quote, the dire humanitarian situation in the country is preventable as it is largely due to financial sanctions that have paralyzed the economy. And then also the U.N. Development Program said uh, in November that the commercial banking system is critical to continue even the humanitarian and other basic programs that are supported by the UN and some of the NGOs and, and other partners. Uh, so the economic cost of a banking system collapse with the concomitant negative social consequences would be colossal. That's what the UN Development Program said. Has the UN taken any significant actions to stop this disaster, which they are describing? Okay, well, I think that's a, a good question. Let's look at what, uh, you know, you know I, I want to mention also that UNAMA, uh, UNAMA is a United Nation, uh, uh, it is, uh, we call it, it's United Nations Assistant Mission in Afghanistan. Uh, they had, uh, they, they were able to bring uh, 16 million in cash, but it was a part of the humanitarian aid to Afghanistan. So they have taken that measure. Even UNAMA uh, does not uh, have a very good record in the mind of many Afghans. Uh, their record of performance in the past as far as efficiency, credibility, and accountability is concerned. But anyway, uh, so uh, that 16 million has been brought in twice. So there have been about 32 million in cash were brought, but mostly, uh, almost all of it was directed toward humanitarian aid to Afghanistan. And it was not brought into the central bank. This is again, while UN clearly is, uh, it talks in, 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 uh, about the collapse of the system. And, uh, in, and I think in talking about a financial sector uh, and the constraint that a financial sector is faced with and realizes that liquidity, both at a commercial bank and central bank are uh, have been eroded but still has not taken enough measures to be able to address the channeling of these funds to central bank and for the purpose of auctioning. So, you know, I think it's one thing when we say uh, talk the talk, but walk the walk, I think is, is an issue that needs to be brought up at this position. Uh, but I, uh, the statement by the UN Special Representative uh, in, uh, that had been made 
plainly realizes and understand that the banking system collapse could come into being, but you have to take concrete measures to prevent the bank collapsing. And what do you do in this case? It is not gonna happen by only addressing humanitarian aid. The firms and household, they will be unable to access bank deposit. They are not able to get the access to, to your four bank deposit right now to begin with because we have got central bank has put strict limit on it because they don't have enough liquid liquidity in the uh, in the system so uh, you know so when you look at these international transactions that was mentioned again before toward swift and all that that has been blocked to a great extent uh, firms are unable to transfer funds overseas they cannot transfer funds overseas for import to pay for the import so when you look at it, bottlenecks are created in every direction that you can conceivably think of. So in, in the outlook, obviously, in, is very bleak unless measures are taken by the United States, in this case, to release these particular funds and to allow Yanama to be able to channel these funds to central bank rather than allowing a parallel institution to perform the central bank function. The central bank uh, have... Uh, have enough personnel to go ahead and do all, uh, perform all their main functions, in this case, price stability, uh, in, in they will intervene, uh, they will uh, reduce uh, uh, depreciation of the currency, but at this stage, the depletion of international reserve has created a, a quagmire here, you know, uh, so and there's a lot of fragmentation uh, over the financial sector, traders have got a very difficult time uh, because they cannot go ahead and have access get access to these particular funds. So I would hope that indeed uh, the UN special representative would uh, clearly look at what we have suggested uh, in this case and look at that. Uh, you know, in a very simple thing, economists usually look at the cost and benefit. Look at what is the cost of collapse of the banking system and what you know and what are the benefits of making certain that that is rescued how much would we that is europe and united states would gain by making certain that economy functions in a normal way by allowing them to have access to their reserve and then also inject other liquidity in terms of cash to to the to people who are uh, were funded by ertf uh, you know ertf has a lot of fund and that could be used for the salary of these people who have not been paid so that when they have the salary that they could go ahead and spend it in order to buy goods and services. And that will help that this aggregate demand or a total demand would be activated and economy will be able to, to multiplier effect, uh, generate uh, economic growth. Jerry? Uh, well, Dr. Murabi, you have been meeting uh, with members of the Congress to urge them to call on President Biden to release uh, the Afghan assets. And I know that a letter is being circulated. Um, in fact, I received a, an email from the Maryland Peace Action Group, and I know uh, peace action groups all over the United States are circulating an appeal to people to um, call on their congressmen to sign on to this letter. But a letter is being circulated by representatives um, Jayapal, Sarah Jacobs, and Yezu Garcia to urge President Biden 
uh, to release the 9.5 billion in frozen Afghan uh, reserves. What can you say about your efforts in the Congress and with the, new, the, the news media to promote this is, policy? Uh, thank you. Uh, now, this letter is an effort. Uh, we, we jointly wrote this particular letter back in, um, I think it was in October. Uh, and then the, the Congress was very busy. Uh, our meeting continued with congressmen and senators. Uh, and, uh, and, and through those meeting and efforts, we were able to get a uh, number of sponsors for this particular letter. Now, so far we have about 23 people who have signed it as of now, uh, 23. So it's initially, uh, you know, uh, Jay Paul and Jacobs and uh, Garcia uh, signed it, but now we have other uh, Congress people, Congress members uh, who have joined the bandwagon and they have signed it. We, our expectation and hope is and I had a meeting today again uh, at the meeting for the for the staff of Congress that they attended a, a joint meeting of uh, the staff of Congress and Senate uh, and made a presentation and pitched uh, this whole notion of this letter and signature by more people uh, than what we had. As I said, we have 23. We were hoping to go ahead and get more signature, and then this letter would be presented uh, to President Biden. Uh, and uh, and we, we in, in the letter is about two page letter. Uh, we are highlighting what needs to be done and why it should be done and how important it is to make certain that uh, people in Afghanistan are not uh, going to suffer from starvation uh, and to, to be make certain that we do not have uh, famine and, and uh, universal poverty. Uh, and, and this is in the national interest of the United States. So the argument has been made that uh, you know that United States is has poured a lot of sweat in financial uh, uh, resources into making certain that these institutions are established. And now we should not be in a position of dismantling these particular institutions. And the Afghans deserve to be, have access to their particular, the Afghans, uh, or to their reserve. They deserve to have a life that, that is, that, uh, and live in a peace and prosperity in a country that has suffered from 40 years of war. So all those arguments are clearly uh, uh, spelled out in the letter to President uh, to President Biden, and it will be submitted to President Biden uh, soon, uh, most likely uh, on Monday or Tuesday of next week. Thank you. Um, Helga Zappel-LaRouche, uh, as you know, the founder of the International Schiller Institute, stands very strongly against this policy of genocide that's being waged against Afghanistan uh, by the US and the allied NATO nations. Uh, what is needed beyond the immediate aid, she insists, is the launching of a modern healthcare system with all that that entails, meaning clean water, electricity, transportation, as well as the medical facilities. Uh, Helga Zepp-LaRouche has called this project for international cooperation, Operation Ibn Sina, after the famous 11th century medical 
genius, as well as the poet, astronomer, philosopher, who was in fact born in the region of today's Afghanistan and is much beloved across the entire Islamic world. Uh, what do you think about this effort and what can you say about Ibn Sina? I think, uh, thank you for the question again. Uh, here is that uh, we're, we're looking at the current Afghanistan, a collapse of a government that is coming into being. And Afghanistan is faced with economic and development challenges uh, and daunting economic and political challenges. So any effort to bring about development and to be able to bring economic growth uh, is welcome. I think uh, the effort by uh, Ms. LaRouche uh, in terms of making certain that the health issues for Afghanistan, which had a very high mortality rate, is, as a, is, is, is a move that will at least expand the life of many of those uh, people who are suffering from uh, shortened life uh, because of the ailments that they uh, suffer from uh, and not having access to healthcare. Uh, I think, and also obviously water, clean water and access to water and electricity that right now Afghanistan cannot imports a lot of electricity and cannot pay for it uh, because of again, a shortage of uh, uh, currency. Uh, those are all in medical facilities being uh, made available, I think are all uh, the moves that, uh, that we should all support and we should all be able to, uh, at least uh, in, in one form or another, be very appreciative of it also. Uh, now in the health area, Afghanistan uh, experienced a third COVID-19 wave uh, that started back in April. So when you look at it, infection rates really reached very high level. Uh, you know, when you look at it, when you look at case of health, uh, I think uh, these uh, when when uh, when when you look at the health situation, and then you are coupled that with a drop in uh, in foreign aid, uh, and then drop in government not being able to generate enough money to uh, to address the health issues, and at the top of it. Uh, World Bank, which paid for the employee of health sector, they stopped that payment. All of those combined is really brought about a catastrophic situation for the economy of Afghanistan. So a move by Ms. LaRouge is, uh, is a welcome move. And, and I think Ibn Sina uh, obviously is, uh, as, as you mentioned clearly, that uh, he is well known in that part of the region, as well as in Afghanistan, and I said to you, uh, I think uh, I said before that Ibn Sina's uh, hospital is right in the heart of Kabul, uh, in in the heart of Kabul that uh, uh, that many patients uh, actually visit, and uh, in modernizing that particular institution with the help of Ms. LaRouche and others, also would be highly uh, valued uh, and appreciated as well. The other uh, major issue which, which we in the Schiller Institute and EIR have promoted is for large scale uh, uh, infrastructure development, especially with the help of Belt and Road. 
We've just learned that Pakistan has now begun constructing a rail connection from Quetta to Kandahar. And we know that uh, starting last February, there was a plan approved uh, between um, uh, Pakistan, uh, Afghanistan, and Kazakhstan, and uh, not Kazakhstan, um, Uzbekistan, to develop a rail link uh, from the uh, China-Pakistan Economic uh, Development Corridor uh, from Islamabad through the Khyber Pass into uh, Kabul and then on to Tashkent as part of the Belt and Road, which would give all of the Central Asian countries access to the Arabian Sea for the first time uh, and also transform Afghanistan. What, what is your vision for Afghanistan's development? And do you think it's possible that these projects can continue uh, without fixing the banking crisis first uh, and the and getting cooperation from China and other neighboring countries. I think we should we should move in the direction of, uh, as I said to you before, that beside humanitarian aid, uh, this uh, Belt and uh, Road Initiative for China uh, could provide Afghanistan with long-term economic viability. I think that is uh, an important point to keep in mind. Uh, one possibility is uh, obviously. Afghanistan joining the China-Pakistan economic corridor, and uh, uh, you know, a which is a central part of that uh, Belt and Road Initiative uh, that Be uh, Beijing, I think, has pledged over. Uh, I don't know how many. I think it's over sixty billion uh, for in infrastructure in Pakistan. Uh, and and I think initially Afghanistan was not allowed to be a part of it. And now I think it's been invited to be a part of it. Uh, uh, is, I think uh, uh, this uh, initiative by CPC, China-Pakistan Corridor, I think is a good option for the development of Afghanistan. And now uh, also I think important keep keep in mind that when you talk about talk, uh, we talk also about the Turkmenistan, Afghanistan, Pakistan, and India, natural gas, pipeline is an important type uh, that could generate quite a bit of uh, money for Afghanistan also uh, transit free I think somewhere around it's been projected about uh, over 400 million dollars and this pipeline uh, uh, clearly is an important one but we also on top of the other areas for the development purposes that has been uh, addressed or talked about but has not been fully um, uh, explored and materialized yet is um, mineral, uh, you know, that um, copper mine that I was, when I was in Afghanistan, the Ministry of Finance, uh, INAC copper mine in 2008, uh, the contract was signed with China, uh, uh, that is metallurgical uh, cooperation of China, that because of the security situation, there has not really, uh, was not able to go ahead and produce much. Then we have got this high, uh, how you got in, uh, uh, Iron ore is an important one to explore. Uh, then oil basin we have that China is trying to explore as well. Uh, so there are many other opportunities. You know, uh, also Afghanistan has a large reserve of lithium uh, beside other minerals uh, that would uh, that could be generating quite a bit of foreign exchange reserve if these are all activated. 
Well, Dr. Marabi, uh, are there any other thoughts that you would like to convey? Well, uh, I am a firm believer in, as I have said, uh, said all along, that, that, uh, that the reserve would have to be released uh, and we should be able to make certain, uh, you know, as a, that ordinary Afghans uh, do not be put in a position where they could uh, be uh, forced to not have adequate food. Uh, and I think uh, as an economist, uh, as an uh, Af Afghan American, I'm deeply concerned about the fate of the 35 million people in Afghanistan uh, who have known little more than war and suffering their whole life. And now for another country to be able to suffocate those particular people, uh, you know, uh, the result will be only new refugee crisis, a new refugee crisis of the kind that we saw in 2014 in Syria, or even worse. So Afghans will flee on foot. They will uh, carry their babies in one hand and whatever their belonging have in another, and they could gather, you know, uh, they will go to West to Iran in hopes of making it into Turkey and then into Europe. Uh, you know, uh, and I think uh, it, it is a failure to be able to provide this access would not only, is not only short-sighted for the United States, but also the final abandonment uh, of the Afghan people. And I think it's very important that, uh, that the United States, which negotiated evacuation with Taliban, which is negotiating how they could go ahead and attack ISA, can go ahead and engage fully in those activities, but does not want to get fully engaged in releasing these particular funds. Uh, you see these uh, policies of the kind that now are in force, these policies, uh, they never hurt people who they are intended to work. It will not hurt the current government. We know that by evidence in many other areas. Uh, you know, uh, and, and I think it will hurt the ordinary Afghans who deserve to have access to their to their particular money. They deserve to not have their life saving become worthless, worthless because inflation is gonna eat their, their, the value of their particular money in a blink of an eye. So they deserve to be able to feed their family. So again, that failure to provide access, as I said before, I think is short-sighted. Let's try to act in a way where indeed help these people uh, who we invested, the United States invested a lot of money and try to avoid the spiral of price increases and food charges, shortages in currency depreciation and bank closures. And let's try to avoid the complete collapse of the economy. Well, thank you very, very much. Um, You're welcome. We appreciate thank this. You. We will do everything we can to get your message out with uh, our effort and others who are joining with you in trying to prevent this atrocity and to uh, at least make up for the destruction that's been waged against your country uh, over all these years.
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jerry, and thank you, Mike, for all your help and efforts in this area. I'm very appreciative of your uh, dedication to this area, and and uh, and I'm an optimist. And I think it took a while to get this letter out, uh, but we finally did it. What the meetings. Uh, almost uh, twice, three times a week, or sometimes four times for different groups. We got to a level where at least we where we had uh, 23 today, hopefully the number would increase. Uh, one, the goal is I would like to get this letter out before, uh, before Christmas and before the congressmen disappear, uh, rather than bringing it out in the, in the new year. Uh, and uh, so we'll try to do that. And we'll keep you apprised of what is going on and we'll keep in touch. And thanks again very much. And thank you for your efforts, Dr. Morabi. Thank you.